Welcome to the Iowa Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics podcast. The Iowa Academy is an affiliate of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. We are a nonprofit organization with over 900 members, including registered dietitians, dietetic technicians, and dietetic students. We promote and enhance our profession through activities, conferences, and more to help improve the lives of Iowa citizens through evidence-based practices. This podcast will highlight upcoming events and how being a part of the Iowa Academy can help you grow as a professional through continuing education, networking, and serving in a leadership role. We offer scholarships, awards, and grants to recognize great leaders for the profession and provide them with funds to assist them in meeting their career goals. Head over to eatrightiowa.org for more information. And now, let's get on with the show. Hello, this is Allison St. Germain, your past president of the Iowa Academy. And today I'm so excited. We're talking with Christina Johnson. She is a weight inclusive registered dietitian who works with disordered eating, eating disorders, and intuitive eating. She practices from a health at every size, social justice, trauma informed, and person centered approach lens. And she has her own podcast. Christina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm very excited for this conversation to find out a little about you and how you got interested in dietetics, but also um, you've done so many great things for the profession and our listeners will be very excited to hear all about that too. Yeah, I'm excited to share. So just to get us started, a little warm up question. Do you have a memory of when you first became interested in nutrition? Yes, actually. So I for a long time, thought I was going to be a doctor. I was like, okay, I'm going to be Dr. Christina. This is going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. <laughs> and I got to junior year of college or high school and I was like, um, yeah, so I want to start my career before I'm 30. I just can't imagine like being still like in the early stages of my career at 30, right? This is my like super young, youthful, ageist point of view but it's important to the story. <laughs> I love it. I can, and now as I'm getting ready to turn 30 this year, I'm like, oh, honey, you just had no idea. <laughs> but I, I get to the junior year and I'm like, okay, well, if I'm not going to be a doctor and I want to start my career sooner, okay, what am I going to do? And I took a career aptitude test because I was like, I don't really know what to do other than something in the medical field. But I knew I didn't want to be a nurse, which that's no slight to nurses. Like we need them. That's just not my ministry. Sure, sure. Um, and so I like go through this career aptitude test and it gives me all these options. And I was like, I don't want to do any of these. And one of the last things at the bottom was dietitian. And I was like, what the heck is that? <laughs> and so I Googled it and I was like, oh, that's who my family is always complaining about. <laughs> and I was like, well, if I go do this, then maybe my family won't have someone to complain about because then I can explain it to them so that they won't be upset. Um, short, like moral, like um, if we jump to the, present day me, nothing that I do in my career has anything to do with what my family like needs from a dietitian on a day-to-day basis, but it all worked out, right? Oh, absolutely. I always love learning how people stumble across dietetics because myself too, I didn't know what a dietitian was. And I was, it's kind of interesting because I too was interested in the medical profession, didn't want to put all that time and energy to go to med school and nursing, definitely not my path just because I don't do well with blood and that sort of thing. And so that's, and then I stumbled across dietetics and I had to look it up too. (laughs) Yes, I'm glad I looked it up. (laughs) 
Yeah. And I feel like um, now, I mean, fast forward a few years, I feel like their um, dietitians are in more places and people know who we are, but we still definitely need to advocate, especially in the healthcare profession for our jobs, for sure. Mm-hmm. So what was your pathway then to dietetics? Can you tell us a little bit about where you did your internship maybe, or um, what kind of jobs have you had leading up to now? Yeah. So I actually, um, as I like look at my, um, in front of my desk, I have like a wall that I'm constantly adding to. That's kind of like my purpose or like things that inspire me. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at my Arkansas like uh, tile that's up there. So I did my undergrad at the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville, which I think actually was really important to me. Um, having such a small program, which is pretty common across like uh, dietetics, most programs in the, across the country are pretty small, mm-hmm. but feeling like the two people who like led my program were like family to me, made me want to continue to pursue the career once I started to get into the educational process and felt like, how in the world am I going to come become a dietitian when I don't look like the average dietitian? Because that really started, that thought started to creep in a lot. And so I didn't get an internship the first time around, surprise, surprise, because less than 50% of people match. And I said, well, okay, what am I going to do? And I sobbed in my uh, professor's office because I was like, I'm never going to be a dietitian and I'm not cut out for this and I'm so stupid and blah, 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 um, <laughs> Right. Thank goodness for grad school. Got some therapy, learned some things. Um, <laughs> and so I went to, I moved to Texas, did my master's at Texas Women's and got to take a semester long course on eating disorders and loved it. I knew when I wanted to, like when I first wanted to become a dietitian, I was like, Oh, that's what I want to do. And I kept having these doubts, kept having these doubts. And then I took that course and I was like, ah, but I love this. I just, it's so fascinating to me. These are my people. And then I also randomly took a course out of the like public health college that was about building courses. Like how do you build curriculum using learning theories? That's really cool, especially because you don't, even now, you don't really hear of many curriculums having eating disorders. And you had a whole class on it? Yes, an entire class, full Mm -hmm. semester long, took tests, everything. Um, I still actually have all that on a hard drive somewhere. And so I finished my master's and I was like, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to do my internship. Someone actually had to push me into applying because I was like, I think I'm going to wait a little bit. (laughs) And thank goodness for her. Um, she pushed me into applying very lovingly and I applied. I didn't get a get an internship again. I also totaled my car that day. So that was a fun day for oh, me. No. Yeah. I will never forget that day. Here I'm staring <laughs> on telling you telling us your pathway and it's like, oh my gosh. Bring it, but up. it all, it all worked <laughs> out. And so I ended up getting a match second round. Mm-hmm. And so I went okay. to Oklahoma state university and I had the best experience I could possibly think of. I loved my rotations. I loved my internship director. I got to do technically three rotations on a reservation. Mm-hmm. So I got to hang out with some indigenous people, which was really fun and cool to me. And then I got to do two weeks at a really high acuity eating disorder center in Tulsa. Oh, Wow. So right? experience. It, it all worked out like yeah. it was so like the path was so unique and I appreciate every minute of it, even if some of it wasn't always the most fun. Yeah. Um, and so from there, I ended up working. I did just under a year at Center for Discovery, which is a treatment center for eating disorders. And then I left there and worked food service supervisor for a year. Um, uh huh. That's definitely not my ministry and that's okay. I think the people that food service is for, y'all are great. 
You oh, have right. a purpose and we appreciate you. Yes. It's not me though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so I had like, I had started my private practice while I was working at Center for Discovery. And so in the like middle of that, I had like a million jobs where I worked as like a dog walker. I worked um, at the YMCA. I worked doing like delivering groceries. Um, and then once I, and then I worked as a cook for like a, a month and a half at a long-term care facility. And then I left the hospital to go back into the treatment center. And I worked in a small treatment center in Dallas and I was there for like a year and seven months, I think is what it was. Um, and I got to see all these levels of care. I got to work as a dietitian. Cause when I worked at center for discovery, I was just a dietech. So I didn't have my own individual clients, Oh, sure. um, but it was really important to, to like ha- get the experience without the um, consequence of like not providing the best care because I didn't have experience. Right. 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 The most recent treatment center, I got to do like partial hospitalization, residential, intensive outpatient, and really got my hands wet and like that eating disorder sphere before uh, continuing to work full time at my private practice, which I do now. And so how long have you been doing your private practice full time? I actually randomly started it like the month after I became a dietitian. So. (laughs) Wow. Uh, let's see, I've been a dietitian for almost four years. So like almost four years. Okay. Very nice. um, How did you become interested in intuitive eating and the health at every size frameworks? Was that through, was that taught through your course, the eating disorder course, or was it something you picked up on in the eating disorder treatment or maybe both? Um, no, it would have been nice if someone would have taught that in a course. I actually get to do that later this year. I did that earlier this year and I get to do it again later this year. Um, I get to, my college professor invites me back and I get to talk about health at every size to teach the future dietitians. Oh, nice. Yes. I'm very excited about that. But I actually, when I finished my master's, clearly that's in a, a complete degree. And I went to OSU, Oklahoma State, and they're like, hey, uh, can you do another capstone for us? I know you just wrote one like three months ago, but we need another one. And I was like, oh, okay, all right. Okay. Um, so that meant I had an entire semester where the only thing I was really doing was writing this really long paper. Mm-hmm. And so I said, what am I going to do with all this free time? Cause I moved from Texas to Oklahoma. Didn't know anyone in Oklahoma was only going to be there for a year. And I was like, well, I can't just twiddle my thumbs. And so I started my Instagram and that's actually where I learned about intuitive eating and health therapy size. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's, I love hearing these stories. It's just, it's, it's so interesting to hear how people come across these things because um, I so wish that intuitive eating would be incorporated into all curriculums. Um, See, I work at Iowa State University Mm -hmm. and I also bring that to the undergrad and to the grad students too, because that's, they need to have that tool. Mm -hmm. And and also, I mean, it can be used with other, not just eating disorder. I mean, with everybody, it's just a way of life, obviously. So um, do you have any specific resources to share with us that have been really helpful to you and your journey with learning about eating disorders, intuitive eating and haze and all of that? I think my favorite, and I think if you'd asked me this a couple years ago, I'd had a totally different answer. I think um, my current favorites, especially for the concept of like health at every size, mm-hmm. is um, uh, Fearing the Black Body by Sabrina Strings to really understand our propensity for hating people in larger bodies and like yeah. why we hate larger bodies as a whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally unwarranted, totally unfounded. We love all the bodies. 
thank goodness for the bodies, right? Yes. Um, I think for that specifically, for health at every size, that's really foundational. Um, and then obviously checking out the ASDA website. I think for intuitive eating, the most recent edition, it's green on the top and white and yellow on the bottom of the intuitive yes. eating like book. Yep. Um, but I think for eating disorders, this is going to be controversial. All of my favorite resources for eating disorders are all therapy resources because uh-huh. like there's only so much you can do. Like there's only so much to learn nutritionally from an eating sure. about yep. an eating disorder, but to really do really, really good eating disorder work. I think there's a lot, even if I'm obviously not practicing as a therapist, but mm-hmm. understanding what the therapist is doing oh, so absolutely. that I'm not contradicting it. Um, yeah. What I noticed is when I go to conferences, um, eating disorder conferences, I tend to go to the ones meant for therapists because yeah. I, I mean, I feel like I, you know, I've done the nutrition piece for so long and you are absolutely right. We need to know what the therapist is doing. And, you know, it is kind of controversial, but also I feel like, um, so you can't talk to somebody as a dietitian and not talk about their emotions around food. And so that's kind of how it helps me stay within my scope is Mm -hmm. I can talk to them about how they are feeling and their emotions around food and, you know, Mm -hmm. work on, you know, the distress, distress tolerance. But I mean, obviously we need to be working alongside a therapist as well. But so anyway, I totally cut in, you go ahead. Oh yeah, no, you're fine. I totally agree with that though. I think like we, and I've seen this before where if a, like the dietitian is uncomfortable with that emotional part because they're like, oh, that's the therapist. I don't do emotions. I just do food. Yeah. I think there's a limit on the work that can get done. Oh, absolutely. And I think, too, it depends on just their continuing ed because yeah. there's, you know, doing the trauma-informed um, care you know, I did that with um, Tracy Brown and Fiona Sutherland, mm-hmm. that workshop. And just mm-hmm. getting some of those other pieces can really widen your scope as an eating disorder dietitian. And you can do more of that emotional piece, too. So, yeah, yeah. You, you definitely have a great point there that, you know, there are some dietitians that, nope, they don't want to do that part. But um, for a lot of not even just eating disorders, it's so important to be able to have that other, you know, lens of looking at things and talking about the emotions around food. That's my opinion. Absolutely. So I think my favorite references for that are the trauma-informed approaches to eating disorders, which is legitimately written for therapists. It's like talking about like associative identity disorder, PTSD, Mm -hmm. like what that looks like from a therapeutic lens. Mm -hmm. But I find that so informative for me to understand like how those things interact with someone's eating disorder. I haven't read that. (laughs) Who's the author on that one? Um, let me look it up for you. Well, and you can just get me that later too, and I'll put it in the show notes. Um, so that way our listeners can get that reference if they want to. Yeah. It's, um, Andrew Subert, I think is how you pronounce his last name. S-E-U-B-E-R-T. Okay. Perfect. Um, it's a lovely resource. I use it all the time. And then my other favorite is the, um, internal family systems for eating disorders. Yes. I use those two the most constantly referring to them and uh, like sick enough. Um, yep. Those are the three that I refer to almost on a daily basis. Okay. And I'm writing all these down so we can put that in the show notes. Um, yes. I came across fearing the black body. Um, I don't know how long I, it was during, I suppose during isolation is when mm-hmm. I read that. Um, and I, first of all, I, I learned about it through reading Anti-Diet because um, Chris 
um, some of a little bit of the history of how um, race and all the stigma around that. And that's how then I got into the fear in the black body. Wow. Um, really, I really recommend that for folks to read too. So I will get all of those in the show notes. And thank you so much for sharing all of those. I I also love to listen. I listen to a lot of books as well, and which that way I can get, because there's so many I want to read. And so then when I'm, you know, in the car and go back and forth to work, I can get through so many more. Mm -hmm. So kind of to build off of, you know, fearing the black body. So, I mean, we know, and you even said when you were talking about your pathway to dietetics that, you know, you kind of pause because you don't look like most dietitians. And that's a really important issue for us to talk about here because the majority of dietitians are white. And so, um, which is problematic in itself because, as you know, nutrition isn't just a health issue. It's also a a social justice issue. Mm -hmm. And nutrition for all is very difficult, if not impossible, when, like I said, a majority of dietitians are white. And so, um, because food is so personal and deeply rooted into our various cultures, you know, we, I, you know, you look on Instagram and any of the influencers, and unfortunately, many of the influencers don't have qualifications behind their name, but there's such a narrow view of healthy eating. It's very, um, very white focused healthy eating Mm -hmm. in our society. And so it excludes so many folks in the BIPOC community. And so can you talk a little bit more about that and just your experiences with that? Yeah, I, I'm in a complete agreement with you. I think like having grown up on the internet, I think my lens of this is interesting as I'm like, well, this is kind of par for the course for the internet. But I think in terms of as a field, like, especially how do we move forward? Our concept for the most part, actually, of nutrition and dietetics is so incredibly rooted in Eurocentric beliefs Mm -hmm. that we would have to dismantle that first of like, there's more than one way to eat that's helpful and like nourishing to your person and helps you feel good. It's not just like kale and green smoothies and boiled chicken breast, right? Like not to stereotype, but there's more to life than that. And also the concept of like, someone can eat something that's completely outside of your culture, but that doesn't make it wrong or bad. Yes. Because there's, I use this example all the time. There's a million different vegetables that exist outside of the U.S. that we have no idea about. Mm -hmm. Like we just don't know because we've never seen it. We would have no context for it. Mm -hmm. It's still a vegetable and it still provides someone something, even if it's unfamiliar to us. Mm -hmm. And um, I noticed too that the things that, there's certain foods that were not considered healthy before, like maybe collard greens or sweet potatoes. And it isn't until a white person brings it forward and starts promoting it as a superfood that that, oh, that now is a healthy food. And it's just um, so irritating. I can't imagine if I'm irritated about it, that how it must be for you and others. Um, other color. Yeah, it's a wild concept to have something that you're so used to, like commodified and sold back to you. Mm-hmm. As you're like, you've been told your entire life, that's wrong, that's bad, you're wrong for eating it, you're bad for eating it, you don't care about yourself, mm-hmm. how could you not care about yourself? Because that's the messaging oftentimes that comes out of dietetic spaces is like, and health spaces in general of like, that personal responsibility, how dare you not take care of yourself better than what you're doing? Yes. Um, and then to have it sort of like taken, repackaged, and then sold back to you as like, oh, it's this superfood and it's so great for mm-hmm. you and here's how you prepare it. And I'm like, but I've 
what's new about this? Mm-hmm. We've been doing this. This is not new. This is not new. Um, I think it's, I think it's so frustrating in so many different ways, but I think the more frustrating part, and I'm, I, I think this is my, like, as I continue to grow as a dietitian and just as a person, I think the more frustrating part actually is when someone is called out for the commodification. Mm-hmm. And then there's that like d- defensiveness that comes with it. Mm-hmm. That I think is actually more frustrating than the thing being commodified. Like mm-hmm. I think I can reasonably say most people of color are used to our things being commodified and sold back to us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more so like when we're letting you know, Hey, this is not a great representation of whatever it is that you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And then that person feeling attacked and it's like, well, I'm not trying to attack you. I'm just letting you know, like, this is, this is a good look. Right. Well, and that's such a narcissistic thing too to play the victim when someone tells you, you know, this is how I'm feeling and this is how it is. And then they turn it back on themselves and play the victim. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's not cool. So let's see. There's so many questions I have for you. I'm trying to think what we should talk about next. How about your podcast? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I started my podcast. Uh, It's called Intuitive Eating for the Culture. And I did it because, like you said, like whenever we like Google intuitive eating, the predominant picture is this like thin cis white woman. Yes. And that's just never going to be me. Never going to look like that. That's okay. Um, And wanting a space for people that didn't feel like they were represented to still have an access point and to understand that intuitive eating is not about a gender. It's not about a body size or a body type. It's not about a wealth status. It's legitimately about like, are you capable of understanding your hunger cues and responding appropriately? If so, let's go. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Because there are certain instances where it's not as applicable, but for the most part, for the you know, vast majority of people, totally applicable. And giving them that access point and having it feel like they're getting to hear it from someone that's A, the professional, but B has the lived experience of not just like of doing the intuitive eating, but also being a person in a marginalized body. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I came I can't even remember how I came across your podcast. I think it was recommended. I'm trying to remember back in some webinar or something that I was listening to. And then that's how I came upon it, which I was so excited because um, while I love Christy Harrison, you know, and her intuitive eating, Mm -hmm. I, she is your stereotypical, you know, dietitian, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I love that you have a podcast out there too, that is more inclusive. So I really love that. So could you kind of just spin off of that? Could you tell us a little bit about how your practice is different in the eating disorder area and maybe the types of people you see and that sort of thing? Yeah, I think, um, I, I always wonder about this. I think the thing that sets me apart is my like, one, my um, intentional self-disclosure mm-hmm. in that I'm never afraid to tell my client, oh, I've been to therapy. So like, there's no, I get what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that that's such an important piece for them to understand. Like, I'm not asking you to do something that I would myself do. Right. Uh, I think that's really important. But I also think it's just my, like, I don't know. I would never know the answer to that question. I think you'd have to ask my (laughs) clients. I genuinely, like, I couldn't tell you. um, Mostly because I just show up and I do my thing and I I don't think about it. It's just me. Right. I just just do what I do. Um, 
but I think who I see, so I typically see, I try to have a mix between eating disorder and like intuitive eating. That's not like eating disorder and is not actively in the middle of some disordered eating. Mm-hmm. Um, so that there's a balance in how the energy is being spent, right? Like, cause there's a difference in how that energy is being spent. And so if it's someone that's working on their eating disorder, typically the person that I see is probably going to be pretty acute and pretty chronically ill. Mm-hmm. Uh, that seems to be my sweet spot for whatever reason. I like those people. We have a great time together. Uh, and then my like intuitive eating, I really love like the, um, the more like not peculiar, that's not the word I want to use, but the like more interesting and nuanced cases where it's like, you know, this person, um, maybe is a non-dominant identity or has some other things going on that makes it like that where we have fun working with each other because we have this sort of shared experience, even if we've never met each other. Sure, sure. So I can well see you use a social justice lens when you're working with clients and that's unique because not everybody does that, unfortunately. So I feel like that is a big plus for people coming to you for treatment too, because, you know, treatment is expensive and not all individuals have access. And so that right there leads into the social injustice of things. It's just like, it's, it's so much part of healthcare that doesn't get recognized all of the time. And so um, and along with that is like the discrimination in treatment of folks in large bodies or BIPOC or the LGBTQ plus communities. Mm-hmm. Um, do you do any work around that, like any advocacy work? Or do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I, those are my people. Shout out to them. <laughs> um, my my clients know, like, those are my people. Um, yeah. I absolutely, in my own private practice, I have a policy and I've had the policy since, since I started my private practice. I always will have equity pricing. And if someone needs it, please use it. If that's what's going to help you get the care that you need. And then I always have two slots available for like pro bono. Mm -hmm. Cause I get it. Sometimes like people genuinely can't afford the care, but that doesn't mean they don't need the care. Right. And so I make sure to have that available so that people can get the care that they need and that they deserve. I -hmm. think on those higher levels of care, there's a lot of advocating that I'll do in terms of like talking to the doctor before my client goes to the doctor to make sure that the visit is as least harmful as possible Mm -hmm. or checking with the the treatment center before they go to see kind of what's, you know, going on over there. Um, When I used to work in a treatment center, a lot of the advocating that came from like advocating to insurance or advocating to other staff members or advocating to their family of like all of these things that are combining to continue to feed that eating disorder. Mm -hmm. Like we we don't want to feed the eating disorder. That's not what we're here for. Um, So I think I do a lot with that. And then I think on the internet, I think I do a lot with that of like intentionally making sure my message is as inclusive as I can possibly make it. Sure. But then also like amplifying other people who have the lived experience that I don't have and couldn't possibly have. Mm -hmm. And those are such great examples. And um, I mean, you're doing from an individual level as well as, you know, from a higher up level too. And so it's just, the system is broken everywhere. (laughs) I Mm -hmm. look, And Mm -hmm. so um, I just, how do you stay motivated to continue the fight when it's just such a long process to try to work through these broken systems and make a sustainable change? 
uh, I have a cutoff on when work ends for the day uh-huh. and I have a, I don't have any of my work things on my phone. When I like leave town, I don't take my laptop with me. And then I intentionally watch funny things during the day and at the uh-huh. end of the day to sort of create this like pause in my brain of like, Oh, we're at work. Okay. We're not at work. Uh huh. That way I have a nice, like, and I don't work on Fridays. I don't do that. Nice. <laughs> uh, and so that three-day weekend by like Saturday, my brain thinks it's Sunday. So I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go back to work. And Ooh, I'm like, wait, I have another day? What? <laughs> and so then I feel more rejuvenated and I'm ready to go back. And then I incorporate things in my like career that I genuinely love. Mm-hmm. And so like when I go to the office, part of me going to the office also means I get to garden. I have a garden out back that's like I'm trying to grow like things to eat. So I've got like tomatoes out there and like squash and some peppers and stuff. And Uh so incorporating that into my day where I'll like, especially if I have back-to-back sessions, I'll just like get up in that like few minute break, like get up, stretch out and go look at my garden for a few minutes to like let my brain decompress before I go into the next session, which really helps me stay rejuvenated and, and like on the ball. That is some wonderful self care advice. I, I really love that. I love the garden piece too. And just taking a few minutes, even if it's two, three minutes to go out there and I feel like getting out in nature is mm-hmm. so rejuvenating. And mm-hmm. yeah, so that's really cool. So is there something you've learned over the years that would be helpful for someone working in nutrition or even healthcare in general that you'd like to share with us? We're not the expert on someone else's lived experience. Mm-hmm. I think the more that I like settle into that. And I think I've always kind of had that as a thought, but the more I settle into it and the more I let my client teach me about their lived experience versus my job as learning about like, you know, the example would be like, I don't expect my trans client to teach me about being trans. I can, I can read a book. I can, you know, listen to a podcast or something and learn about that. I want them to tell me their experience of being trans. How does that impact their relationship with food? Mm -hmm. I think that really creates this, this magic that's so hard to capture. Um, And I think it goes a long way, regardless of what kind of provider you are. Like, I think that that goes such a long way of like understanding that person as a person and not just this like thing to be solved. Yes. I think I have the title for your podcast now for the, for your episode here. And it's going to be, we are not the expert on someone's, someone else's lived experience. That is so, that's, that's so true. Yeah. It's, um, I think the more that we understand that, I think the more we can evolve as a field. Mm Because I think we're taught that like, and it's true, like, yes, we're the nutrition expert, but I don't know what it feels like to be in someone else's body. Yes. I'm doing enough to understand the experience of my own body. (laughs) Yes. Well, I think, you know, that's part of our training is like, okay, we're supposed to know the answers and we're supposed to fix this. And Mm -hmm. so um, you're just, you're learning this. Um, I mean, you're very young into the profession and you know, you're like years and years ahead of where I was when I, because I've been a dietitian for 27 years and I can, as a young dietitian going in thinking, okay, I know all the answers. This is how it's supposed to go. Um, But, you know, since then have gotten lots of continuing education have realized that that is not the way to go, but you know, that's our training. You know, you're in that there, with somebody, you're helping them, but the, the telling them what to do obviously is not the way to help them. So, yeah, no, no, I think the more that I like allow myself to not have the answer, especially on like, cause I mean, again, I work in eating source. So I see my people many times. Yes. 
I don't have to answer, have the answer to that first like five sessions, which mm-hmm. is beautiful. Now I just get to listen and learn about that person and learn about their eating disorder and then start to like, we built this relationship. We have this rapport. We can make these adjustments. Um, and I even was able to do that even when I worked in like acute care in a hospital, like in my internship, like I'm still trying to understand them as a person before I tell them, here's what can be helpful for you. Yes. I'm madly writing down things that you're saying. You have so many great little things you're saying. I love that you said, I allow myself not to have the answer. I think that is such great advice for people starting out in the profession too. Well, and even people like me, you know, that is so true. I really like that too. Yeah. I think it, it directly challenges that like type A-ness of a dietitian. That's like, I got to have all the answers. And I'm like, yeah. no, not really. Like you, it's not possible for us to know all the answers yes. and what works for this person might not work for the next person. And so like figuring out like, what does this person actually in front of me need? Whew. Yes. Oftentimes I will say when we are having our conversations, I will say, you know, you know, you try to get them to find out what they want to do, but sometimes they're just like, I don't know what I want to do. So I will maybe make some suggestions, but I always say, if you think, oh my gosh, that is stupid and would not work for me, not a big deal. There's lots of different things we we can can try. I always treat it like, okay, are you up for doing this experiment? And and then mm. you can think about it later if it didn't work and why it didn't work and then what we can do from there. So yeah, you know, I've learned so much about eating disorders just by doing the work. I had a conversation recently with another eating disorder dietitian and I said, well, cause I have been teaching other dietetic students and mm. dietetic interns how to be a dietitian, right? And how mm-hmm. to do eating disorder assessments and the questions to ask and the things to do. And then I just recently moved into um, student wellness where I do one-on-one with individuals with eating disorders, majority of what I do. And I've learned the most just by actually doing it. I mean, you need need the education, which, you know, obviously there's not that much of it in our curriculum, but I did, you know, a lot of continuing ed and everything, but I learned the most just from doing the work and talking with my clients. So absolutely. I think that that's the the best part about it. I think if you ask my clients, any of them will tell you my number one question is what do you need? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you need today? Like, what do you need today? Yeah. Um, And like getting your hands. I loved having interns and having them sit in on session because I'm like, I, I do this all the time, but I can't, I can show you better than I can tell you. Mm -hmm. Oh, exactly. Get get your hands in there, touch it, feel it. Cause like, you can feel the eating disorder, right? Like you can feel what's going on for that person sometimes better than you can explain it in words. And so I I love having interns like come in and observe it and get their hands wet and then be able to ask questions like afterwards of like, okay, so what was this? What was that? What was this? And like seeing them learning in real time is the coolest thing to me. That is, I love that you take dietetic interns too, especially that's so important in the eating disorder realm too, to have interns because a lot of times people get paralyzed of thinking, oh, I don't know enough. I don't want to make a mistake and do more mm-hmm. harm. And so, yeah, thank you for taking interns. Cause I, I used to work in the dietetic internship at Iowa state. So um, I always love when people are giving back to the profession Absolutely. because we had to, we, we were there once, right? You know? I sure was. And I appreciated my, preceptors and so I said I will happily give back if it means like a people get to learn more about the social justice part of like nutrition work because there's so much so like eating is inherently political at least in this culture 
uh, in this country. Um, But then also that piece of like, I don't anticipate that everyone's going to work in eating disorders, but I do anticipate as a dietitian that you're going to see some people with eating disorders. So the least you could do is know what it looks like. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We don't choose the eating disorders, right? The disorders choose us. I mean, they are there regardless of if we want to work in that field or not. So you're absolutely right. So what interest do you have beyond dietetics? I know that a lot of us who are dietitians, our personal life passions kind of weave over into, you know, our work. And so you mentioned gardening, which that is, you know, it's a hobby, but it also does fall into the dietetic interest, right? Do you have anything else that you like beyond dietetics? Um, I love reading. I just redid my bookshelf and it's beautiful and I stare at it every day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think I like to, and I learned this actually while I was in Arkansas because it's, there's nothing else to do in that state, but go outside. Um, I learned how much I actually like to be outside. And so like, I like to go hiking or I like to go like um, uh, kayaking. I love being like in the water, near the water, on the water, surrounded by the water. Yeah, that all sounds so nice. I live in the middle of Iowa, and it's either freezing cold during the winters or super humid during the summer. We have a very small window of comfortable weather here. Yes, I am in Dallas, and um, it is hot for most of the year. And then randomly, there's uh, freezing whatever, and the power goes out in February. So (laughs) there you go. That's what vacations are for. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I think I'm going to start taking a vacation around that time in February because two years in a row is more than enough for me. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, so where can people get a hold of you and see your content? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram. It's at Encouraging Dietitian, all spelled out like dietitian. Um, and then I am on most uh, podcast streaming platforms, Intuitive Eating for the Culture. Mm-hmm. And I actually recently came out with a uh, Patreon that's encouraging dietitian. That's like a place for me to put more like long form content. And it's just like a dollar um, where I can like sort of like flesh out these like social justice thoughts I have about nutrition that don't necessarily have a home on Instagram. Um, Yeah. And then I'm also building a course that's for intuitive eating that I'm going to put out on Teachable. So that should be out later this year. Oh, awesome. I'm excited to see that. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you, Christina. It was great getting to know you better. And I feel like I could talk to you all day and it would be, I, you know, next time I'm in Dallas, which I've never been there yet, but maybe now I have a reason to go there. I want to look you up. Come hang (laughs) out. Enjoy the warmth. Have some tacos. It's a great time. I would see, I'd probably be like coming there in February because it would be too hot for me otherwise. (laughs) Yeah, it was about 105 for two and a half months straight. So I can understand where that'd be a little toasty. <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> okay, well, thank you so much for um, talking with us today. It's been a pleasure. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yes. And that concludes our show for today. Remember to take some time each and every day to celebrate you. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to check the show notes or eatrightiowa.org if you're interested in learning more about the Iowa Academy. You will find important updates, resources, continuing educational opportunities, many of which are free, job postings, and more. Thank you for listening. The Iowa Academy of Nutrition Dietetics, the real nutrition experts.